Good evening. I'm Rick Cottom. Welcome to Your Maryland. In the autumn of 1836, a young black man named Ford McGill stared into the sunset from a point on the West African coast. He was about to return to Baltimore to study medicine. It would be a homecoming of sorts. His father had been a slave in Maryland, but as part of the state colonization society's effort to remove blacks to Africa, he had become one of the first settlers in the tiny colony of Maryland and Liberia. The family had survived the African fever that struck all new immigrants, set up a business, and prospered. But the colony needed a doctor. The one they had had been a barber in Baltimore. He knew little about medicine and wouldn't follow directions. People died under his care of treatments they didn't need or of overdoses. The colony's hopes rested on young Ford McGill. Moses Shepard, the wealthy Quaker philanthropist, had persuaded the Young Men's Colonization Society to sponsor McGill's training at the Washington Medical College, a wealthy private institution that had just built a handsome building on a hill east of the city. The idea of sending a black man to a white school was, of course, incendiary, and the faculty agreed to accept him only on the condition that he pretend at all times to be a servant. Shepard warned him, You must not expect to hear the term Mr. McGill from a white man. In proportion, as you waive the claim of equality it will be conceded to you. In proportion as you claim it, it will be denied. McGill arrived in Baltimore and enrolled at the college in December 1836. He refused to pretend he was a servant and addressed his colleagues as equals. In a few days, the students were enraged. Any persons who possess any degree of self-esteem cannot conceive that the faculty would consent that students of fair complexion should mingle with those of dark skin, they complained. If he stayed, he might arouse a mob and worse, his presence would undoubtedly exert a blighting influence upon our future professional prospects. It was never our wish that McGill should be esteemed an equal, the Young Men's Colonization Society replied meekly. The students weren't appeased. They met again on Christmas Eve, flattered themselves on their fair judgment, and kicked McGill out of the college. He has overstepped that line of conduct which prudence and public opinion demanded of him, they said. Ford McGill was soon accepted elsewhere. In February, he journeyed north to Vermont College, which had a far more rigorous medical program, and the next year he moved on to Dartmouth, more difficult still. Dartmouth counted American Indians and a few blacks in its student body, and they accepted him. But at Dartmouth, he also ran into a number of abolitionists, who argued that blacks should be freed, not sent to Africa. McGill, who thought American blacks actually had a much better chance to succeed in Africa, knew well enough that abolition hardly meant equality. After one student had lectured him on abolition's benefits, McGill decided to have a little sport. I made a rather serious proposal for the hand of his sister, he said. I need hardly say that it effectively silenced him. And thereafter, I never found him anxious to harp on the subject of abolition. Ford McGill completed the entire four-year medical program in two years and sped back to Africa. He was practicing a year later when dysentery struck the Maryland colony. Thirteen settlers suddenly fell ill. Africans in the nearby town, whom McGill despised, were losing one or two a day and executing others as witches. McGill got all the settlers safely through the fever and went on with the work of colonizing Africa. One can only wonder what a man like that could have done here, had his country not foolishly wanted to be rid of him. (laughs) ¶¶